Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially um, the last couple of verses from our gospel reading from Luke chapter 24. And here we are, the fourth of the five great festivals of the Christian year. This entire first half of the church year culminating this coming Sunday with the day of Pentecost began all the way back in the four weeks leading up to Christmas, that first festival. Christmas, when we in heart and in mind return again to the manger and see this tiny little red baby, newly born, as he grasps for his mother. The second festival, that of Epiphany, as the Magi, we don't know how many, but at least three and probably more, as the Magi bring to him gifts that are fitting for a king, and they kneel before this little child, this toddler perhaps, and they recognize him for the exact person, the exact thing that the scribes, the Pharisees, and Herod himself both ignore and dread. And as the season of Epiphany progressed, we saw him stand in the Jordan River, baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. Because this one who was born there at Christmas was not one who came to be separate and distant, but he came to be Emmanuel, God with us. And so he stood in the same muddy waters that were still soiled with the sins of those who stood before him. And the heavens opened. This is my beloved son. As the water from John's hand dripped off his head, there Jesus left the Jordan River. And we hear again um, during the season of Epiphany how he revealed his glory. He revealed his glory in miracles as he joined hands and he rejoiced with those at the wedding at Cana. As he revealed his glory in miracles such as raising the daughter of Jairus taking her by the hand and saying, little girl, I say to you, get up. As those very hands made mud in the dirt that he might put it on the eyes of the blind man and say, go to the pool of Siloam. As those very hands took up the, the meager gifts of the child, the child who had said, well, we've got some fish and loaves, but how far would that go among so many? And those very hands raised that same gift before God and said, I give you thanks for this. As Jesus revealed his glory in word and in deed, he would gesture to the birds of the sky. And he would point out the fishermen at the seashore separating the fish that they had caught in their nets. And he would rebuke those who had said, um, you know, not right now, the teacher is busy. And besides, he doesn't want to deal with little children because they're slobbery, slimy, and maybe need a diaper change. Or at the very least, they're a little unruly. And he brushed the crowd aside and welcomed the children. Even taking a little child onto his knee and holding up that child, at least figuratively there, sitting on his knee, as an example of faith. That if anyone does not receive the kingdom of God as if he or she were a little child, then they are not a part of it. As the hands of Jesus would gesture and reach out to touch those who were ostracized from society by their sin or by their disease. The same hands that would reach out to Levi saying, come follow me. The hand that would reach out to touch the leper. The hand of Jesus. And that was kind of the whole season of Epiphany, and you could unfold that, and we'll talk about that more, I suppose, um, 
this summer. And then you see, shortly after Epiphany, um, we hear about the feet of Jesus as they walked out to the temptation in the wilderness on that first Sunday after Transfiguration, after he had come down from the Mount of Glory and he walks down into the Valley of, of Lent. And his footsteps took him to the very purpose, the very place, the very reason why he came to be entering through the gates of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, along with all the other Passover lambs, to ride on a donkey and be acclaimed by the crowds as the one coming in the, the king as David was, to stand before Pontius Pilate, having washed his own disciples' feet the night before, to stand on trial and then to carry his own cross and those hands and feet nailed to that cross. And the culmination of his whole purpose following after that with coming alive again. Coming alive again very early on Easter Sunday and in body and soul, walking, descending, going, visiting the realm of the dead in hell. And that place that was created by God to be a place of punishment for those who had rejected him. And he spoke. He didn't simply think, but he spoke. He spoke as one who had come alive again as visual proof that human beings, body and soul, are able to inhabit the afterlife. And he spoke the exact same promise, the exact same word that, that we rejoice in today. I don't know the exact words that he used, but it's the same content that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, and therefore those who trust in him are not put to shame. That same Jesus then reveals himself as, um, as Mary comes and clasps his feet, and Jesus says, don't hold on to me, I must soon return to my Father. As Jesus dusted those feet, walking along with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and with those same hands receiving, um, there in Luke chapter 24, receiving from the disciples a piece of broiled fish for him to eat. Hands and feet. All throughout scripture. Those same hands that as a young child had taken up, taken up the scribe's pen or stylus or pencil or whatever it was um, in order to, to write the scripture that, that he knew so well to write the same scripture that he would be able to respond and question with and when he was at the temple at age 12. Those same hands that for a period of time, maybe as many as um, 20 years or 15, uh, working together alongside his earthly stepfather, Joseph, working as a craftsman, working um, perhaps in a trade of some sort, like a carpenter. Those same hands that, and those same feet that now lead Jesus and the disciples to that Mount of Olives just outside the city of Jerusalem. Apparently there at the foot of the Mount of Olives was that Garden of Gethsemane where he had, um, where he had prayed the night before he was betrayed, when he was betrayed. And there, there at the top of the Mount of Olives, the disciples are wondering, is now the time and is this the place? Are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And what will happen now? And Jesus lifts up those hands and blesses them. And he rises up into the sky visibly before their eyes until a cloud hides him from their sight. And it's almost like the bookend. 
the bookend for the middle section of Scripture. Not going all the way back to um, the Garden of Eden, but maybe starting with God's word to Aaron, the high priest. That this is how you are to bless my people. You are to raise up your hands and bless them, saying, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. And the bookend of the interim. That Jesus raises up his hands to bless his people once more. That the promise of the blessing that God had given and had promised and had spoken through Aaron and through his descendants was a promise that God Almighty, um, Yahweh, the God who is the only God who alone dwells in unapproachable light, that that God promises blessing for his people. And the blessing of Jesus there at the Mount of Ascension, um, the blessing, the promise that the God who is has come to be with his people for this one express purpose of blessing his people. And as he lifts his hands to bless his people in this kind of interim bookend, we're still waiting for the, the other side, um, the Garden of Eden reborn in um, eternity in heaven. But this interim bookend, as Jesus raises his hands, perhaps you wonder ever so briefly what went through the disciples' mind. That it wasn't the time for the kingdom to be restored. That God wasn't entrusting the secrets that are known only to him. He wasn't giving them all the details right then and there. But as Jesus' feet lifted up off the Mount of Olives and whatever grass or scrub was there began to slowly stand back up, wondering, thinking back to Peter sitting there in the, in the boat, <laughs> And thinking of um, kneeling before Jesus after that tremendous catch of fish when Peter had been called. Or perhaps uh, the hand that plunged down through the water to pull him up. Maybe of Thomas as he is standing there and as he is watching and he is thinking to himself that I know. I know that this Jesus has been raised from the dead because I saw him with my own eyes. And... At the very least, maybe he didn't put his hand there and, and feel the nail marks in his hand. But at the very least, he knew that the same Jesus who had provided for them, who had blessed them with his presence all through his ministry, that the same Jesus was the one now ascending visibly into heaven. And it's shortly after, as he begins his ascension, that a cloud comes and hides him from their sight. The same sort of cloud that would fill the tabernacle, again thinking back to the Exodus in the time of Aaron, that would fill the tabernacle to demonstrate that God was there. The same sort of cloud that would go before them and behind them to lead the way and to protect the way. The same sort of cloud that would fill the temple, Solomon's temple, when it was dedicated to prove that God had put his blessing and his dwelling upon that place. Now, now that same sort of cloud finding its mirror image in the cloud that hides him from their sight. Because Jesus ascends. And as he ascends, the cloud isn't, um, <laughs> it's not as though, you know, Jesus then takes off like a rocket to, to heaven itself. But that he ascends so that you and I would have certainty that he is with his church to bless his people. That he is with his people to bless his church. That if Jesus had not visibly ascended, you and I might wonder, well, Jesus isn't in Toledo tonight, but I hear he's coming through in two weeks. Hopefully I get a spot. Jesus might be over on the other side of the world right now. But ascending visibly into heaven, we know that his work is done. 
and yet he is the one who fills all things. That he is the one who, who never gave up his omnipresence as God, and yet he ascends visibly so that you and I won't go looking for him, but rather, rather find him exactly where he has promised to be. In that promise before he left of, I am with you always to the very end of the age, and that promise that is more specific and localized even in the sacrament, where he says, take and eat, this is my body, and this is my blood. And the only thing left for him to do after that ascension, um, obviously his work still continues until this day, but after that ascension, as we'll celebrate on Sunday, he sends the Holy Spirit exactly as he promised. And still, even today, he intercedes on your behalf and mine with those same nail-scarred hands and feet, interceding to bless his people. And what a day. This ascension. This ascension is proof that this Jesus, who now has all authority in heaven and on earth, who, as we confess, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, that he isn't confined there as if he were locked up in heaven, but that this Jesus is present everywhere to be with his people exactly as he promised. To be with his people here exactly as he promised. That Jesus still does the exact same thing that he had done during his ministry that he dwells among his people, that he uses his hands and his feet to bless his people, and to bless his people in a very real, visceral, bodily way. So that even in a sense, that when pastor says your sin is forgiven, when pastor says take and eat, and that it's not really, I mean it is, but by the authority of Jesus, it's not. Just Peter Hagen standing here and saying, well, I hope your sins are forgiven. It's as if the voice of Jesus right there is saying your sin is forgiven. It's not as if Peter Hagen is saying, well, um, good luck with this. Have something to eat and something to drink by the promise of Jesus. It's Jesus himself saying, take and eat for your forgiveness, for your blessing. Because Jesus, the ascended Lord Jesus that we celebrated at Christmas, that we saw reveal his glory in Epiphany, and we journeyed with him to the cross and to the empty tomb, and who ascended visibly before his disciples, that this Jesus still lives forever human and forever God to bless his people. Amen. Amen.